This is Tennessee Talks with United States Congressman Tim Burchett. Hey everybody, Congressman Tim Burchett. Welcome back to another episode of uh, Tennessee Talks. Today I'm joined with my friend Travis Howerton. I got the name right, didn't I, Travis? You did. I've known you for a while, but I always people know me their whole life and they've never gotten my name right. Yep. <laughs> Thomas Massey always says he's going to do a fundraiser for me and call it um, Fish Fillets with Tim Burchett. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, nice. Whatever you want to do, Thomas, that's the way they do it in Kentucky. But anyway, you're a Knoxville native, went to Central High School, go Bobcats. Um, we'd play them in football at Beard, and y'all would always cheat. And, uh, <laughs> well, we'd, we'd somehow squeak out a win most of the time. I remember one time we, we did terrible in the rain, and, um, and it had been a dry spell, and somebody had turned the sprinklers on the field yep. and, um, and left it on overnight. But we, I think we squeaked out seven to nothing win that year. But um, yeah. anyway. I'm sure that'll go down in history somewhere. Well, when I was there, we had Todd Helton, so there wasn't oh. much of anybody beating us back. No in those way, days. no. I know Todd. He's a, he's a stud. Yep. He's a dual threat, baseball and football. Um, anyway, you worked at ORNL and, uh-huh. and Y12, and eventually became co-founder of RegScale Security and Compliance Software Company. I'm gonna pull my notes up here. Um, and of course, now we know it's one of the hottest startup techs in the country, which is pretty cool. Give me some on that. Absolutely. You, your software, who else is used by the Air Force, um, DOT, Homeland Security, who else? Uh, Navy, multiple national labs, wow. um, large financial institutions, and starting to grow into energy sector as well. Man. Basically that's anywhere that's big and highly regulated and has nasty compliance challenges with the regulators, uh, we provide an automated solution that can save them money and make their life a little more pleasant. Well, with Congress, that seems to be an ever-increasing number, I would say. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. Well, tell me about your career at Oak Ridge and Y-12, and um, did you ever go to Big Ed's Pizza while you were there? I did go to Big Ed's Pizza. Um, I uh, started at, um, actually, Oak Ridge Operations as an intern. Got recruited, right. came out to Y-12, built some of the first enterprise web-based software in the late 90s, early 2000s there. Right. Um, ultimately, became the first chief technology officer of the U.S. nuclear weapons program, so they pulled me out of Y-12 and took me up to headquarters, and then Jeff Smith convinced me to... Now, where'd you go to college? Um, I went to Pellissippi State, then I went to Tusculum University, or Tusculum College, right, then local. I went to Good Boston point. University to get my master's I'll after that. Pull back on that one. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> and what'd you get your master's in? Uh, computer Information Systems. Okay. So. And is it- do they still have that same program, or do they call it something different? No, they still have it. Um, okay. It's one of the first, uh, I would say, sort of prestigious online degrees you could get at the time. So it okay. allowed me to work and go to college and get my master's at the same time, which was a, a wow. good deal for me. So you could you stayed here. I guess you stayed at Oak Ridge, and then, um, mm-hmm. and then okay. Yep. Well, what led you to start start your own business? Just found everywhere that I'd worked throughout my career that compliance was always the equal and opposite force to transformation. That just the growing regulatory burden just made it hard for companies and organizations to innovate. And so the more regulated are, the more they were falling behind the private sector. Yeah. And we we saw if you take a look 10 years from now, everything's going to be cloud-based, ephemeral, AI-driven. And this idea you're going to describe systems with a 500 
100-page Word document or spreadsheet just doesn't make any sense. And so it's costing too much money, it's taking too much time, and we thought machines should attest about their state to other machines in real time. Paperwork updates itself, organizations save a lot of money, um, you get better security, and it's a win-win. Because my view is regulations are often well-intended. Everybody wants clean air and secure systems, but they have unintended side effects on cost and and innovation and other things. So we're trying to bridge that gap where we can. Cut that down a little bit. I'd say that that's where you're the profitability of your your Absolutely. ideas come into play. You know, I serve on a committee and and oddly enough, AI is, is the focus of that. It's a subcommittee. <clears throat> and um, uh, Nancy Mace out of the Carolinas, she's, um, she chairs it. And I remember the first, her, her you give an opening statement, you know, you've seen it all on C-SPAN and it's mm-hmm. very riveting, which it's not. But um, this was actually a very one of the most interesting committees I've ever served on in my five years in Congress because the AI is just such a, I mean, it's a threat, but we don't really understand just how it's, um, how quickly it's moving because she gave her spe- opening statement at the end of it and she said, this, this is the first time in the history of Congress that a, that a speech has been given that was totally uh, derived from AI. I guess she gave the subject uh-huh. and, then, and then the AI wrote the speech, yep. the, whatever the computer program or what have you. And um, you know, I've seen uh, the Schwarzenegger movie, you know, and it, 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 it gain at the point it gains of, uh, um, what do they say? It, it, it has a, um, it, it, it develops its own mind and where it, yep. it starts creating and it answers itself. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to me, that's a little hard for me to grasp. Um, being that when I was at the university of Tennessee, we were just going off the computer cards Yep. and, um, and I wrote a program I remembered on, um, I'm an organic gardener and, you know, and, and whatever plant you're growing, if it was, whatever color it was turning or whatever, um, what, 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 um, organic material you needed to add to the soil. And it was, a and it's something like, like that now would be done in an afternoon. But yep. back then it took a whole quarter to write that whole program. Oh yeah. And so, um, uh, and, and so I, I just, uh, and now it's moving at such an exponential space and time that it's, it's so, it's moving so fast and, you know, and you're dealing with, Literally, I'm, I'm sure if you go in some of those congressional offices, they still have eight-track tape players. Oh, so yeah. you know, so we're trying to develop something. Um, uh, what do you see as a, as the threat of AI and and the benefit? I guess. Yeah, I, is the science fiction stuff? Is that any? You know, I've heard some very um, intelligent people say that that is our biggest threat. They don't consider debt or China or fentanyl or the border or Ukraine or Russia or anything. They said it's it's AI. Yeah, I, I'm a former nuclear weapons guy, you know, chief technology officer there. Right. And I'm not a view, I'm of the view that no technology is inherently good or bad. Nuclear weapons can end the world. They're also the, the deterrent that keeps from ending the world. Sure. I think I, AI is a bit of a double-edged sword in the same way. I'm glad and, you said that because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of a hawk, but the, I'm going to move this lamp back. I'm not sure if that's causing the same problems or not. This is... Um, uh, but you know I'm a hawk, but I'm also I've been very vigilant and and um, trying to hold down military expenditures because <laughs> I see the yep. as the, the military industrial complex or I like to call it the industrial war complex because yep. you know our business is is war and, and our business is very good right now unfortunately mm-hmm. and so um, I see that that threat 
and, and all that. And I see the nukes and, and, the, and the responses that, are, that could happen um, if two computers start talking amongst each other and, it's, um, and it could be a very um, a mathematical equation kind of thing that could send us into, into um, the Stone Age, basically. Yeah. It, it, you're seeing, I think, the early stages of the beginning of the AI wars, where yeah. before you have other countries attacking us, we're trying to defend. It's a cat and mouse game. Yep. Increasingly, AI will do the attacks, AI will do the defense, and whoever wins in AI and quantum computing is going to have a huge strategic advantage in the future, which is why I think it's really important that that be a democratic country. Right. I agree. Um, China is always our threat. And, you know, there's an episode of Star Wars, the original Star Wars, Spock and Captain Kirk, when they're yep. cool, and, um, and Lieutenant Uhura. Yep. Um, and, and I remember there was an episode where they, um, they went to this planet and people were, um, oh, there's a war going on, and, and uh, people were to report because they had been killed in the war. Mm -hmm. And they hadn't, but the, the, the computer system... You know, and it kept the balance between the two superpowers, and yep. and people would die because they literally commit suicide. And and it, to me, it was um, I thought it was it was a foreshadowing of really where the AI could go if we're not careful and if we don't mm -hmm. address it. And that's sort of what bothers me about the um, the cognizant ability of of some of our Congress people to address this issue because they're just you know they laugh at it. They say this is just science fiction, and it's. It's today's science fiction is tomorrow's, you know, super weapon. Well, I think you're in an area in East Tennessee that I think is well positioned to think about that problem because they're used to dealing with nuclear consequence into right. the world. How do you provide checks and balances, high assurance systems where you don't make mistakes? So I think there's a lot of people in this area that are starting to think about that problem and where we can help and what does a framework for safe AI look like and what are those checks and balances. But um, nuclear expertise and thinking about high high hazard, high consequence operations like that is a is a area of expertise this area has that may be able to contribute nationally to helping solve that problem. All right. Well, let me let me backtrack a little bit on I'd like to talk a little bit about business here in East Tennessee. What um, what was your experience in starting a business here in East Tennessee? Was it just pretty much you getting out there and getting with it, or did you, you know, go to some group and then a think tank help you develop your your, your process? But it sounds kind of like you were the think tank. So yeah, it was. Uh, there's. I'm a man of faith. I think there's a whole bunch of things that had to happen in the right order for me, for sure. me and for RegScale to end up where we did. Um, the first one is um, Bechtel was really good to me. I got to help lead the merger of Y12 Pantex. Um, the consequence of that is I got promoted and I was basically traveling all the time and my wife said, please stop doing that. And then my Big kids bad. also said, please stop doing that. How many kids you got? So, um, two, oh. two girls, 13 and 15. Three it's, girls in the home, huh? Yep. We need <laughs> to compare notes. I've got two, wife yep. and daughter. <laughs> it works it. pretty good for me. It does. And uh, they're, they're wonderful. And But if my wife had never pushed me, um, I never would have done it. I'm a fiscally conservative guy. I would have just kept working and paying the bills and doing what I need to do to take care of the family. But she's like, you should go do what you want to do. And so my wife pushed me to do it. And then... My wife uh, says the same dadgum thing every time I come up with a new invention or something. She mm -hmm. says... Honey, 
go out there and do it. Yep. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and then she says, what's all this stuff in the barn? <laughs> I say, Man, that's my invention. Yep. So it helps to have someone you love believe in you and, and push you. And so I thank my wife greatly for that. And then my how fellow- you, How old are your kids? 13 and 15, oh, two wow. girls out at Concord Christian. Uh, great school. Yep, wonderful. Um, and uh, it, it's, it was a good experience. So then my fellow co-founder, Anil, <laughs> we both worked in nuclear. We'd been talking now, about this nuclear problem. nuclear or nuclear? Uh, the nuclear space. He came I'm out of Los kidding. Alamos. No, so, yeah, I'm just saying nuclear. You, know, <laughs> yeah. you got to eat, eat through my East Tennessee accent there. Yep. I got you, brother. We're good. Yep. We're good. But uh, 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 he'd been wanting to do this for a while. Very entrepreneurial guy. So he's more of the sales-oriented founder. Now, why um, would you do that here instead of maybe going to Silicon Valley or Silicon Valley? Is the <laughs> yeah. Oh. So I'm a, I'm a big believer there's nothing they're doing in Silicon Valley that we can't do better in Hardin Valley. I dig and that. And so if you look at sort of the San Francisco. And the cost of living. Well, it's really expensive. It's not capital efficient. Um, it's not really regulatory friendly to a business to be out there. No. And tech business models in that area are suffering because they don't know how to make money. And there's... Um, it, ours is just more traditional enterprise software. We know a problem, we know how to sell it, we know how to generate a return on it. Uh, we were fortunate to work with a venture capital firm, so we closed a $20 million Series A uh, based off some of our early traction, but that we found an investor that Post-COVID, their <coughs> thesis was you should be able to innovate from anywhere. Twenty million. Uh huh. And uh, they were they liked Southern companies. Walk me a little bit through that. Basically, uh, I'm I'm fascinated by that the, yeah. that you're able to raise that kind of money. Is it would you is it locally? Do you put something? You put a report together, obviously. And you know, I, I by accident, I remember one time I walked in on mm -hmm. a. A local company ended up going bust. I walked in on their their sales pitch, you know, mm -hmm. and it was like a used car salesman up there with a laser pointer pointing out stuff, you know, and then mm -hmm. all these people were writing their checks, and I just yep. I turned around, and walked out, obviously, but um, um, but anyway, go through that process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll start by saying we did everything completely wrong to start. Um, so um, if you can think of the, the dumbest way to raise capital um, and come up with something, we could probably top that. Um, so we did a sort of an embarrassing round of not knowing what we were doing. But we found uh, a VC, a squadra out of Baltimore, Guy Filippelli, venture, uh, venture cap capital. capital. And so we ended up we don't not doing that. In yes, gotcha. So we ended up not doing the deal with them, but the head of that fund spent a lot of time with us and taught us how the game worked. And we're engineers. So once you understand that part, you can you can start to play it. And so we ended up raising a million and a half dollars in a friends and family around. A, uh, a lot of people I've been close to over the years, Sean Williams, Bonnie Carroll, and others believed sure. in us, helped us get started. Um, and then the, the goal of raising that money was to put a business model around it. How much does it cost to get a Put customer? a business what around it? A business model. Middle model. So, okay. you know, yeah, and it's you. simple things like how much does it cost to get a customer? How many customers could there be? Uh, what's the average deal size? How long can you retain them? And you can pretty quickly lay out a projection of if we hired this many more salespeople and this many more engineers, we could turn this kind of profit. And so the, the, what you see on TV about how venture capital works is not how it works. They aren't these crazy high risk people that yeah. just find the craziest ideas. It starts with convince me that you're not going to lose all my money. Unless you're a bank in, yeah. in California. 
Yeah, that ahead. was another sorted detail <laughs> for us. We were impacted by that. Um, and then, uh, uh, then it starts with convince us you're the right team to do it. Like what secret sauce do you bring? And then convince us that there's a billion dollar opportunity, right? There, there's right. something big here. Um, it's unlikely you'll get there, but there has to at least be a path to it, right? It's got to be a good feeling though when you walk in and you say, I want this amount of money, I'm asking, and then they write you a check for more. Yep. Because they believe in you, maybe not the, they don't understand the program, but they believe in you, and that's a, yeah. that's pretty cool. You know, I always talk about Enzo Ferrari, a terrible human being probably, he had a wife, and then he had a mistress and a kid on the side, and, you know, had a, two families, but he built a great car. Allegedly, mm -hmm. he built a V12 engine. Is what he built, and then um, he used some Scalinghetti or Pininfarina or somebody else built those cool bodies, which you would say is a Ferrari, yep, and um, or Bertone, any of them. And um, and what he did was he let everybody else go out and wreck their cars the first year, mm -hmm. and you mess up the disc brakes, the fuel injection, and then he would he would seize upon that upon their failure mm -hmm. and then he would never make the mistake that they did and so it sounds like you've kind of picked it up along the way uh, I, I tell my wife i get incrementally less stupid every day <laughs> and so a lot of it is just testing theories still in the you? market does she and your daughter still correct you uh, my daughters aren't too bad too bad my wife does enjoy being right and yeah. she has the benefit of usually being right so well. uh, it My daughter is really good with the computers and the phones. I just don't know what's going on. I just hand it and say, fix it, Isabel. And the next thing I know, there's a picture of her horse as oh, yeah. my screensaver <laughs> or something. And I don't know how to get it off. I don't know how it got there, but I dig that. Um, Why did you want to start Reg Scale in the first place? Is it reg scale or reg scale? Uh, it's reg scale, so think about solving regulatory, regulatory problems yeah, at regs. scale. Yeah, I got you. Um, okay, I got you. Two things is one is it's, I think it's an exciting computer science problem. And so if you look at the long pole in the tent today, you can spin up things in the cloud in minutes. DevOps has made everything as code can go fast. The last long pole in the tent is the regulation side. And so trying to get through the compliance wickets just makes it really hard and really expensive on banks and utilities and government agencies to do anything with any kind of speed. Right. So it's a real problem. And so we kind of looked at it, and if you look at how it's done, you couldn't design a more inefficient way to get a worse outcome than how this system's been designed. And it's getting worse as a function of time as now, is that just a, come on board. Is that just a pride in federal government that they do that? And do and you it, think Congress can fix it? it? It's a disconnect between the speed at which technology moves and the speed at which legislation moves. Well, right? And one's light speed and glaciers. one's geologic time, right? Glaciers are sprinting compared to us. Exactly. And so that's where you see it breaking. So you're taking these systems that are highly dynamic and you're trying to describe them in a static Word document that's added date the minute you wrote it. It's five or 600 pages. You're paying one of the big four companies to come in. So they're super expensive. They're out of date the moment you write them. They don't, you don't actually know that anything in there is what's actually running. Right. So you're not really getting much of the outcome you want at enormous expense. And so for us, the innovation was just, it's a big problem. Like, so there's sort of two ways you know, we saw as a business model. Either you find rich people and you find a way to make them richer, so you just can increase somebody's revenue and they'll pay you for it. Right. Or you find an incredibly painful thing and you find a way to make it less painful and cheaper. You ever take so on we any charity cases? You ever I'm take sorry? on any charity cases, maybe a smaller business that's having that problem and you can 
you can help solve it for. It's actually a great point. We put out our community edition, which is completely free. It's targeted to that small to mid-sized company. So right. they don't really have enough money to pay you. So we just give it away for free. Right. And so, so eventually, for them, they're, they, but eventually if they do make it, that you're going to be, hey, I'll be calling Travis back. It's yeah. a, and I think it's a good business model and it's, it, yeah. it's a, a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. I suspect Congress probably needs to stay out of the way as much as possible at this stage and try to get in and I think well, we might just mess it up. Yeah, and I, I think they've got to rethink the risk management framework and the authority to operate. Right. Everything keeps piling on because the cyber risk goes up and so let's pile on more regulations, more executive orders. Yeah. And you just get to where you're under a nonstop audit, you, you're creating paper and you're not doing the thing that the agency's supposed to be doing because this is all you're doing. So there's better approaches to that, um, technology approaches, than necessarily paper-based approaches. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get you to D.C., I would think, at some point to testify before this subcommittee because mm -hmm. they need to hear this kind of thing because a lot of the things we're getting are are government generated and people that have created the problem. My daddy used to say the problem with education, he's a long time dean at UT, so the problem with education is they always bring in the dadgum people to fix it who created the problem. Yeah. And you know, all they're gonna do is cover their rumps yep. and, not, and not fix the problem and just create more for themselves. So yeah. that would be a good thing. Um, but we've talked to some of those big accounting firms, the SI firms, yeah. and tried to get them interested in what we do, but they never will be because they're the ones sure. that are selling all the bodies. Yeah, why do right? they want to? So yeah, they're, they're, they have no interest in an automation solution that makes yeah. it cheaper for the government to get better outcomes. I, yeah, I was a, a shop major at UT. It's called technological adult education. They didn't like me calling it shop, but it was shop. Mm -hmm. And I remember one professor had a. Um, he talked about it in his class that they made his college project. What final project was this? coal clinker it was a you had to make it a certain it had to be machined and all this stuff and had wood and metal and everything but it was used to pull um, clinkers out of old coal furnaces now what mm -hmm. the heck's a clinker nobody knows they haven't had they haven't needed one in you know 50 years or something yep. you know and so it's uh but they were still making them and because that's the way we've always done it and that's exactly. that's the congr that is federal government to a t right mm -hmm. there well here's the uh the part that my guests usually like the most and that I hate the most, and I can edit it out, so if you say something ugly about me, I'll just pull it out. <laughs> but uh, you can ask me anything you want, Travis. Okay. I, I think, what do you see as an area where Congress can help um, improve cybersecurity uh, while lowering costs and like to help get the wheels turning there? like? Yeah. I know we kind of spent a few seconds kind of bashing the way things have always been, but yeah. to give Congress credit, the FedRAMP legislation was an incredibly good thing. Correct. This idea of reusing authorizations, not having every agency independently doing it was a huge leap forward. Yeah. We help automate and make FedRAMP even cheaper. Like, what are the other areas you see as target-rich environments for how you might attack that space? I think before we get too far ahead of ourselves in it, and um, it get people like yourself at the table because the problem solvers is what we need so that we, one, will fix some of the problems which might be minor at this stage that could compound into something bigger and to get us ahead of it so we won't make a big mistake in the future because I can see that, that becoming a huge, huge problem with, with the AI and everything else that we're dealing with right now because it's, um, 
it's so complex and it's moving so fast that that uh, you know that what we can grasp as congressional members is is a very small minute amount compared to where it's really heading and and I that's why I was I was surprised to be on this committee they said mm -hmm. they needed somebody with my you know I guess I don't know they call it common sense I don't know what they call it but um, East Tennessee horse sense I think is what somebody said mm -hmm. but um, and so I think that's what we've got to do we've got to get people like yourself at the table ahead of the, and we got to get these government bureaucrats out of the dadgum way well, I'm, I'm happy to, to help and to serve any way I can. Um, the, the other one that often comes up, it's less related to our company, but it's the, one of my great frustrations as a citizen is you'll have folks who argue that climate change isn't real, and then you'll have folks who want to spend a bazillion dollars on something that doesn't help the situation at all. Yeah. You know, the, I think you'll find when they want to spend that bazillion dollars, it's usually something in their district. Exactly. Because members of Congress, trust me, they do not have the... Uh, financial knowledge to make 86% return on stock investments year in and year out. Mm -hmm. And that's on both sides of the aisle, brother. Yep. I mean, when we're, when we're ordering missile defense systems for other countries, and then we have to deplete our missile defense system to do it, mm -hmm. and the rules state that we have to have our missile defense at a certain level, that means that we're buying, we're not just giving away missiles, we are having to duplicate that again, and yep. them having ownership in those stocks, uh, to me, is a very frightening proposition. And I think that's, that, that, that's just across the board. Any kind of research, I remember I voted against, uh, um, I made national news and ticked a lot of people off because we had to, um, they were talking about uh, studying lobsters in three different districts, and it just happened to be in three different areas that leadership had that was in. And I said, if you want to study lobsters, go down to Red Lobster, and you can do it for twelve ninety nine. Which mm -hmm. it's up now, of course, because of supply chain issues. But yep. <laughs> but my point was was just that it's a complete duplication, and that's what we do best in government, which is bad for the people. So yeah. anyway, I guess we better close it up here, brother Travis. Thanks again for joining me today. Time. Thanks for having uh, me. These things just get keep getting better and better. Um, it's great to see how your business is thriving here in East Tennessee, and we're hopefully helping some companies to succeed. Absolutely. People like yourself are helping other companies to succeed, and it's a pleasure having you here, and I appreciate you being a man of faith, and I appreciate everybody listening to us. This is another episode of Tennessee Talks. I'm Congressman Tim Burchett, and thank you all so much for watching us today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tennessee Talks. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Keep up with Congressman Burchett by following Rep. Tim Burchett on Twitter and Instagram and Congressman Tim Burchett on Facebook and YouTube.